Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Rolando Alviar, and I'm the online campus coordinator here at The Story. And I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning as we continue our current sermon series, True Lies. Now, y'all, I've been really enjoying this series. If this is your first time, first of all, welcome. I'm really glad you're here. Um, but I really suggest that after today's message, you go back um, and catch up on this series because Pastor Eric and Kel's sermons have been awesome, all right? And what we've been doing for the past three weeks is we've been discussing some very popular cultural mantras or sayings and comparing them to what the Bible tells us, okay? These cultural mantras are so widely used and ingrained in our culture that they have essentially become truths, right? But we've been conducting a scripture check on them and we'll continue to do that with today's topic. So the first two weeks, we talked about being true to yourself and love is all you need. And last week, uh, we looked at follow the science. Today, we're gonna be discussing what I believe to be the most popular mantra um, that we've addressed so far, and that is karma is real. Now, before we get into what scripture says about karma, I just kind of want to break it down for you, all right, what the traditional uh, karmic belief is and where it comes from. So first and foremost, karma is not a Christian belief. It's a concept birthed out of Eastern religions, including Hinduism and Buddhism. And karma is defined as the belief that the sum of a person's actions in this and previous states of existence inevitably decides their fate in future lives. And the word karma literally translates to action. So it's the idea that your current actions will dictate your quality of life in your next life or in reincarnation. In the karmic belief, if you're currently having trouble or you're having a difficult life, it's because of your actions from your previous life. So if you live a holy, um, kind, and good life now, then you'll be reincarnated into a more pleasant situation as a reward. All right, now today's societal or Western interpretation of karma is a little different. It's watered down, and it's watered down in the sense that people use the concept of karma and take bits and pieces uh, of it without truly believing in reincarnation. So almost everyone that I hear saying things associated with karma don't really believe in reincarnation. So here are things that you might have heard, will hear, or have said that lines up with karma. You reap what you sow. What goes around comes around. You get what you deserve. They had it coming. Now, I'm guilty of having said these things as well. I'm saying all of us, right, at some point or another might have said these things or still say these things. But these are more referring to the idea of cause and effect, right? Sometimes we take naturalistic consequences and we call it karma when it isn't. An example is a guilty pleasure of mine and that's instant karma videos on YouTube, specifically traffic stops. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's, there's videos out there, typically dash cam footage that shows you know, someone driving erratically and then being pulled over, right? And on occasion, we can get audio um, from those dash cams and you'll hear the driver repeat one of these sayings that we just 
went over. You know, typically they're driving by um, the officer pulling over this driver and they'll, they'll say, oh yeah, buddy, you got what you deserved, right? And I have to admit, I find these videos very <laughs> satisfying. That's why I watch them. Now, even though these videos say instant karma, that's not a thing. Karma isn't instant. In the karmic belief, the things you sow, you're going to reap in your reincarnated life. For some of us, the idea of instant karma is literally causality. When you commit a crime and you go to jail, that's not karma. That's just what happens, right? When you slap a cat and it claws your eye out, <laughs> that's not karma. That's what happens. Don't go around slapping cats, all right? Now, another example is our beloved Astros, right? If you're from Houston or you're Houstonian, if, if you hate the Astros, I get it. That's just where we are right now, right? You either love them or you hate them. But when the Astros players go to an opponent's ballpark and they get hit by a pitch, the opponent's fans go crazy, right? They love it. And they say, oh yeah, karma's a, you know, because they believe that it's karma from them having cheated in 2017. But it's not karma. That's what happens when you cheat at the pro level, right? These teams are going to come after you, okay? Now, let's get into comparing karma to what the gospel says. First of all, the Bible does not support karma, but there are some similarities that we'll address. The Bible doesn't support karma because the foundation of karma is this belief in reincarnation. And Hebrews 9.27 tells us, just as people are destined to die once and after that, to face judgment. Now, this passage mentions two very important things that go against the karmic belief. One, we die once. And because we only die once, we are not reincarnated. And that in itself dismisses a foundation of reincarnation in the karmic belief. Two, we will face judgment. And we're not judging ourselves, right? This judgment will come from God. In the karmic belief, you have complete control over your destiny, right? You ultimately decide your next life by your actions. What then does the Bible tell us about our actions? Because yes, the Bible does mention reaping and sowing. So let, let, let's read about that. Galatians 6, 8 through 9. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. In our karmic idea of reaping and sowing, it's this input output, right? You do something good, and something good will happen to you. You do something bad and you're gonna reap a consequence. Now, even though that's not how karma works, that's what we mean when we tell someone, you know, you reap what you sow. What this passage makes clear to us is that yes, there are consequences to sowing to the flesh. When you're living to please your flesh and your sinful nature, and you're living in a way that does not honor God and his commandments, you will reap destruction. Why? Because that's what sin does. It leads us further and further away from God. Romans 6, 23 tells us, 
for the wages of sin is death. And James 1, 13 through 15 says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Listen to this. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So are we giving into our flesh and being dragged away by it? Or are we sowing or feeding our spirit? Okay. Scripture tells us to sow to the spirit because then good things will happen to us, right? Wrong. (laughs) It doesn't say that. That's not what the passage tells us. We do good because that's what comes out of living according to God's will. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness. These are all fruits of the spirit. Whatever good thing comes from this world is because of God's perfect grace towards us. And I'll get to that. Um, later on. So why then do bad things happen if we're living according to God's will? Why do bad things happen to good people, although we're all flawed and we all fall short? And that's why Jesus came and died for us, right? But why do bad things happen? Well, we're not home yet. We live in a broken and fallen world in which Jesus said bad things would happen. In John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Even though we face trials, our attention, our hearts should be focused on Jesus, on him who we put our hope of eternity in. And we're reminded in James 1, 2 to 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Many of us would look at bad things in our life and credit them to karma or see them as a consequence of a previous action, which yes, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you commit a crime, you go to jail. So if you end up in jail, that's on you, right? Like I said, natural consequences, um, consequences from feeding, feeding the flesh. But what about trials that did not come from our actions? What about things that we may see as unjust, such as a child being born blind? Well, Jesus offers an incredible response to this in the book of John. In John chapter nine, um, this is where Jesus heals a blind man. And in verses one through three, he says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Look at Jesus' response. Neither this man or his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Notice that even the disciples had a tendency to revert to this idea of karma. Did you catch what they asked Jesus? Are the parents reaping the consequences 
of the sins that they have committed. Is this why their child was born blind? No, but it's so that God might be displayed in him. There was a common belief in Jewish culture that suffering was a consequence of sin or a great sin. And even though these disciples were following Jesus, they too had the habit of reverting to their old way of thinking. And it's crazy how that belief of suffering as a consequence of sin aligns so well with the concept of karma. But Jesus nipped that line of thought in the bud. He tells them that this blind man situation happened so that God's healing and restoration may be seen. This is why Jesus tells us to take heart. Trials will come, but take heart. So if you're in a bad situation right now, and in a situation that you feel you didn't bring on yourself, and you're questioning, why God? Why am I in this mess? I encourage you to remember that passage in James. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be complete. Pray for strength for there is wholeness and growth on the other side of your trial. And listen, it's completely okay and normal to be upset and fired up when we see injustices or when we see something wrong. You know, an example I think too is, you know, things that I've seen in my friend circles throughout the years, right? Like someone will do something wrong to a friend of mine and and they're venting and they're saying, well, you know what? Karma is going to get them. You know, they're going to get what they deserve. You see this a lot when, when a couple breaks up, right? Because someone cheated and the, vi- and the victim will typically say, karma is going to get them, you know, they're going to get what they deserve. And to be honest, that's just how we're wired. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because we're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of a God who loves justice. He said it himself, Isaiah 61, eight, for I, the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. So when people are in that situation and they say, you know, you reap what you sow, you know, they're going to get what they deserve. I believe it comes from a good place of wanting justice. This is why I love those instant karma videos, right? Now, we love when people face the consequences of their actions. You know, we, we get so satisfied. The desire For justice, though, is not the problem. It's our definition of justice. That's the problem. The reason the karmic belief is so flawed, according to scripture, is because there's no room for grace. And that's how we can be towards others sometimes. We believe in justice for everyone else, but don't hold ourselves accountable to the same standards. If I see someone swerving, right? and cutting people off left and right on the highway, you know, I'll get fired up and I'll say, man, I hope they get pulled over. But if I do that because I'm running late to work, I'll justify myself by saying, well, I'm running late, so it's okay. So I go to the very front of a mile long traffic line, right? And basically cut everyone off, which by the way, if you didn't know this, that's how you drive in Houston if you want to get anywhere. But, but don't do it, but do. I don't know, pray about it. <laughs> but we don't like to hold ourselves accountable sometimes, right? Man, if I got what I deserved for every sin, if every sin I've committed 
came back around, if I believed that every single wrongdoing had some cosmic consequence, man, I'd be living in fear. My anxiety would be through the roof. But I don't believe in that. I believe in Jesus, and I believe in his redemptive power. Remember that perfect grace that I said I would get to? Well, here it is. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And Titus 3, 5 says, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Listen, we fall short. Again, we fall short. But God demonstrates his love and mercy for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, 8. Karma is a flawed justice system because it says that you will be paid for everything that you've done wrong in your life. It says someone who is suffering has no hope because it's what they deserve. Karma is dangerous because it makes us apathetic. It makes us look down at someone and say, well, they must have done something to end up that way. They must have done something to end up in that terrible situation. It makes us accusers and not an extension of grace, of love, and of mercy. The gospel shows us a better way. The gospel shows us how this merciful father sent his one and only son to pay our debts so that we may live. It shows us a God of justice and of mercy. It shows us to do unto others as you would have them do to you. Don't settle for a lesser justice system. God doesn't hate you for the things that you've done. But God also didn't save you because of the good things that you've done. God loves you regardless, and he saved you because that's what he does. He is love. So if you find yourself in a position right now where you're beating yourself up, you know, you're saying, I'm this terrible person. Listen, there's nothing that you can do to separate yourself from his love. All right? We are saved by our faith. So believe in him. Receive his mercy and then extend that mercy to others. God's perfect justice, grace, and mercy is what separates the gospel of Jesus Christ from the true lie that is karma. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for your overwhelming and unconditional love towards us, God. Help us to see others through your lens. Help us to see ourselves 
through your lens, God. Make us a people of mercy. Thank you because you never stop pursuing us, God, no matter where we we may have found ourselves or where we are right now. You don't stop pursuing us, Jesus. So I just pray that we may have the faith to just receive all that you are, to receive that perfect grace, that perfect love, Jesus, and give us the strength to also extend that out to other people around us, Jesus, because you've done it for us. And we want to walk in that. Help us to sow into our spirit and not give into our flesh to be people who reflect you and your goodness. Thank you for saving us while we were sinners. While we were doing things that didn't line up with your plan, with your purpose, Jesus. Thank you for for Jesus and his sacrifice and for giving us that new hope that's found in him. In your name we pray, amen, amen. All right, guys, well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We'll see you all next week.